Well, here we are then, 28th of April. But imagine if last Sunday, Easter Sunday, you turned up expecting to hear a great word about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And neither Carolyn nor Ali nor I made any mention of it last week. Imagine that. Not one mention of the empty tomb. No word about how death has been defeated. What would you have thought of us? The most important part, the most important fact of faith missing. You'd have had every right to stand up at the end of that meeting and say, Hey, what was that about? Maybe you like to do that most Sundays, I don't know, but... Last week, you'd have had every right, if the resurrection and if Easter hadn't been mentioned, you'd have had every right to question it. Minge, you'd have said, how can you stand with the privilege of the pulpit on Easter Sunday and totally ignore the single most world-changing event in all history? But here's the thing. I have attended Salvation Army Corps and churches where it seems sometimes like something is missing. Like the main thing is missing. The main reason for worship is missing. I've met people who call themselves Christians who do live sadly as though something is Missing, as though the most important part of faith doesn't really feature or have any bearing on how they act, who they are, or how they talk with their friends, either here or where they work and live. Oh, yes, they do church, but they do church as though Jesus is still in the tomb. You see, if the main reason for worship is missing, you will still worship, but you will worship the wrong thing. In the book, The Color Purple, one of the characters writes these words to her friend. The friend thinks she's dead and gone. Some of you might know this. This is what the character writes. I know you think I am dead, but I am not. There is so much to tell you that I don't know where to begin. But if this message does get through to you, one thing I want you to know is, I love you and I am not dead. I love you and I am not dead. You may think I am dead and you are unloved, but I am not dead and you are loved. In Holy Week, the world said no to Jesus. It said no to new life and new creation. The world said no to justice, Barabbas or Jesus. The world said no to reconciliation and peace. The world said no to God's mercy. Yet still God said, I love you and I am not dead. Because on the third day, he rose again, and never again will there be no hope. That's great, isn't it? 
So haven't we got to live like that? When you think of your own sphere of movement, your family, your friends, your church family, your work colleagues, is there ever anybody in that wide circle where you've lost a bit of contact, you've lost a bit of love, there's been a bit of ado, there's been a bit of a friction, there's been a bit of a situation. And really what you want to say to them is, I love you, I am not dead, don't ignore me. In our scripture this week, the Gospel of John doesn't let us forget that the church itself has been raised from death. You see, in the hearts and minds of the disciples, everything about Jesus died on Good Friday. He went, he went missing, that was it. Easter Saturday was a day of mourning. It was also a day of profound shock. The world had come crashing down around them. And yet a few days later, those same disciples celebrated resurrection in the plural, if you like. They themselves were reborn, but at that time also the earliest expressions of church were being birthed and were starting to take shape. People were believing that this miracle had happened. And we know then that the book of Acts, as Carolyn read early, provides us with a comprehensive account of what a resurrected church looks like based on one man's testimony of the resurrected Lord. But how does a resurrected church live? What makes her effective? It's a never-ending question, isn't it? Bible colleges devote degree programs to, to studying mission and growth and models uh, in a postmodern world. Hundreds of books have appeared that champion one strategy after another for creating a healthy and growing church community. The church tries its best, but it still doesn't always get the essence right. Now, we know that the disciples didn't quite get it right. In our reading, they were behind locked doors. And locked doors make it very difficult to invite others in. They make it difficult to reach out to the community through acts of love and justice. And those guys were fearful. And fear doesn't inspire faith. And neither does the kind of confusion, the doubt or the shame that characterize that upper room gathering. Yet our reading tells us that living as a resurrected church is about opening the doors. Opening the door to the living Christ. He appears, he brings us together as a community, as a body of people who believe fully in his personhood and in his reign. He makes us one. What brings us together is not a common political view or a position on any one issue. What unites us is not necessarily the perspective that comes from the person who teaches at this pulpit every Sunday. Years ago, we used to worship at a large Salvation Army Corps. And if I'd had to agree with absolutely everything the Corps officer said in order to go to that church, I'd never have gone. What unites us in spite of our differences is the common call to speak the truth in love 
and to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and action. And this, I think, is the theme that the lectionary gives us for next week, where the disciples go out in the boat and they cast for, for fish, uh, and Jesus shows them actually how to, how to do that. So I think that's our theme next week. But something else happens in that upper room. Jesus appears and he greets the disciples, peace be with you. I can imagine there would have been open-mouthed shock. And then he does something that seems odd. He breathes on them. Now you know that the Bible uh, says that breath so often speaks to us of the movement of the Holy Spirit, the source of life and strength. And this is why in the early church when somebody was baptized, the priest would actually breathe on that. Imagine if I was commissioning a soldier, enrolling a soldier, and I just went, They'd go, oh, I didn't expect that. But that's what it was. It was symbolic, a sign of the new life of the Holy Spirit that they had received. And so when Jesus breathes on the disciples who'd been locked in the upper room through fear, he gives them new life. He transforms them. He resurrects their dashed hopes. And after that, he sends them out into the world. And in a sense, these disciples are not given a moment to catch the breath that they've just received. Because they still find it hard to believe. Yet after the breath, they find themselves wonderfully re-energized and renewed. And Jesus sends them into a world of violence and of pain to bring peace and healing. They're sent into a world of injustice and oppression and called to proclaim the righteousness of God. They're sent into a world that is overwhelmed by lies and they share the gospel truth. As we said last week, they went with a faith and a word that was counter to the world's culture, a new way. And it's still a new way. It's still needed today. And this is what resurrection Christians do. Not least because we're taken over by the wonder of the event. The wonder of his grace, of his rising from the grave. Eugene Peterson says this. It is not easy to convey a sense of wonder, let alone resurrection wonder, to someone else. It's the very nature of wonder to catch us off guard, to circumvent expectations and assumptions, which is exactly what happened in the upper room to the disciples. Wonder can't be packaged, he says, and it can't be worked up. It requires some sense of being there and some sense of engagement. And the Christian year offers us a number of opportunities to engage with the wonder of Jesus, which is one of the many reasons we try to go through the church lectionary in that order. Never lose the sense of glory and wonder that our great Christian celebrations from Advent to Pentecost and on present us every year. We must not lose the sense of wonder at his life, at his words, at his actions. Don't let wonder go missing because our own experience of his resurrection suggests 
that we can do no other. And I suggest to you that wonder is an inevitable consequence of God's gift to our hearts in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not missing. Resurrection truth is not missing. However you feel, whatever's troubling, whatever's giving you pain, whatever's on your mind, whatever keeps you awake at night, your worst pain is no match for the eternal hope that the resurrection of Jesus has proven. And I, that's my quote. I'm proud of that. I looked at that and I thought, did that? I, I Googled it and I thought, that's good. That, does that mine? But Mother Teresa said, never let anything so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of Christ risen. That's why this is a part B to last week. Because we're talking about understanding and appreciating and having this great hope in resurrection truth. And if you're in a small group this next month, you'll be talking about exactly the same thing in a little more depth. I mentioned this last Sunday, but again, I want to say last Friday in the open air service in Piccadilly, in Piccadilly Circus was a tremendous joy because every element of mission and proclamation pointed to the resurrected Jesus. There was a visible and sensory togetherness of a church that displayed a clear unity of purpose. It happened on Sunday as well. A togetherness came by the movement, by the power, and by the breath of the Holy Spirit. And often, togetherness comes because you forgive someone's sins, which is verse 23 of our reading. Togetherness comes when we can forgive one another and we can say, I love you, I am not dead. We could say that God called us to Piccadilly Circus and we responded. We could say that the breath of the Holy Spirit came through our instruments, came through our words, our songs, we could say that. Do we ever speak like that? Not as often as we should. Because I believe that that is what happened. See what God did. He confirmed that he is not missing and we are not defeated. That's what we shouted out last week. It's not about believing in the resurrection with our heads only. It's about rediscovering and living out hope the same hope that radically transformed those locked-in, hopeless disciples. I want to finish with a quote from N.T. Wright. Hope is what you get when you suddenly realize that a different worldview is possible. That is the countercultural worldview. A worldview in which the rich and the powerful and the unscrupulous do not have the last word. The same worldview shift which is demanded by the resurrection of Jesus, he says, is the shift that will enable us to transform the world. Amen? Amen. But we can't do that if the resurrected Jesus is missing from how we live. So more and more let us live together as one, as resurrected people, 
enabling one another to rise above the challenges of daily life and to enable one another to rise above those issues which keep us locked up in body and in mind and in spirit, locked up in our worship experience, in our worship expression. May we worship and encounter him in spirit and truth. And like Thomas, we can all say, I have seen the Lord. He is not dead, and you are loved. Amen. Amen. Let's just sing that song, All Heaven Declares the Glory of the Risen Lord. We're going to sing these two verses. If you want to come and make your prayer, feel free to come and kneel at this place of prayer together. Prayers for greater resurrection faith. Faith in that one time for all event. Faith that takes away any thinking that there is no love because Jesus is missing. He is not dead. Somewhere in Jerusalem there is an empty tomb and if Jesus is not in it, then where is he? Risen. In this church, in this core, and in our lives. So may we believe it more and more. Unlock those things that are held captive by the past, by those things that are unholy. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. We acknowledge and we shout to the heavens 
that Christ is risen and living in us. Lord, make it so. Every day of our lives, we pray. Amen.